Life Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe with Doug Rothheis. I am your host and guest. This is where we try to seek the truth about the things that matter most through reason and evidence and have some fun along the way. I am Professor of Philosophy at Denver Seminary, where I have served for 30 years, the author of 19 books. Today, I'd like to be a little bit more informal than usual. Sometimes I read from an outline. Sometimes I read a script from a previously published article. Today, I'd like to just read some biblical passages reflecting on the idea of having fire in your bones for the truth in your life. This has to do with motivation as a Christian to try to speak the truth in love as much as possible, whenever possible, in the power of the Holy Spirit with a maximum impact according to your calling and abilities. I was asked a number of years ago by a friend while I was going through some pretty terrific, terrible suffering through my first wife's decline, how do you keep your drive? We wanted to have dinner to talk about that. And I said, well, uh, if you buy the dinner, I will tell you how I keep my drive. I have had really, I think, since the beginning of my Christian life, which began in June of 1976, what I'd call fire in my bones for the truth, rationality, and relevance or pertinence of the Christian message. I remember not long after having confessed my faith in Christ in a public meeting, going out with two friends of mine and witnessing to a fellow in Elderberry Park in Anchorage, Alaska. He was a musician. He was playing guitar, and we were trying to get the gospel through to him. And he said, I think God is in these guitar strings. So that was a pantheistic response. Little did I know at that point that I would be writing hundreds of pages over decades against that view, pantheism, everything is divine, and for Christian theism. Let me read you a few passages that I think will spark the discussion about fire in the bones. The first one is from whence we derive that phrase, the prophet Jeremiah. Let's look at chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. Strong words here from the prophet to God. You have deceived me, O Lord, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I am a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For wherever I, whenever I speak out, whenever I speak, I cry out, I proclaim violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become to me a reproach and a derision all day long. Verse 9, if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones, and I become weary of holding it in. I cannot prevail. I won't go into into saying too much about Jeremiah's life. Uh, He's known as the weeping prophet. He had a message of truth, but it was of judgment. Few people responded rightly to his message. 
But we have the entire book of Jeremiah, the prophet, as his message for the ages in Holy Scripture. I want to notice something here. Having fire in your bones to communicate a biblical message to the world is not dependent on being happy. It's not dependent on even being very happy with God. Jeremiah, in this passage, is upset. He says, You have deceived me, O Lord, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. Strong language there. Now, God doesn't lie, but this is how Jeremiah feels. Why? This prophetic calling on Jeremiah made him a laughingstock. Verse 8, For whenever I speak, I cry out, I proclaim violence and destruction. Who wants to hear that? For the word of the Lord has become to me a reproach and derision all day long. If you speak the truth of God in a contentious situation, you will likely suffer for it and not be happy, and not even be that happy with the Lord. Again, verse 9, if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. Notice, this had to have been a temptation for Jeremiah. Like, this gig is not fun. I'm not getting the accolades uh, the way the pillow prophets are, the way the false prophets are. That word pillow prophet I get from David Wilkerson from many years ago. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. So this is what Jeremiah wanted to do. He wanted to retire from the call of being a prophet. He couldn't. And I, I become weary of holding it in and I cannot prevail. Without fire from the Lord, there's really no prophetic urgency in one's life. And that fire is the fire of the truth of God that needs to be made known to the watching and waiting and even smirking world. Now, I'm a teacher, preacher, writer, and mentor. So I am something of a public person, for better or worse. Not everyone is going to have that kind of calling. My primary calling really is teaching. Now, teachers are in public attempting to make truth known through pedagogy of various kinds, teaching, writing, maybe debating, and so on. And no one today is called to be a prophet in the same way Jeremiah was because we don't have prophets whose biographies and words become holy scripture because the canon is closed and I hold to sola scriptura, the great Reformation doctrine. However, every Christian is called, according to Ephesians 4.15, to speak the truth in love within the church and also to outsiders. We need to have a reason for the hope that is within us that we present to those who ask ask us. And we should present this with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15 But we need this sense of fire, that there is a God greater than us. There is a message greater than us. And truth in the moment, according to the needs of the time, must be spoken, whether it makes us happy or not, whether people receive it well or not. We need that kind of prophetic fire. Think of Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And if we speak 
that truth, if we write about that truth, it has power. Romans 1 tells us that the gospel is the power of God for all who believe. There is an intrinsic power animated, motivated, and applied by the Holy Spirit to God's truth, particularly the gospel, but any truth that we find in Scripture or any truth that needs to be made known now because it is being obscured or being distorted or being forfeited in one way or another. So let me read verse 9 again, and then I'm going to move on to another passage on this theme of needing fire in our bones for life and ministry. Jeremiah says, If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones, and I become weary of holding it in, and I cannot prevail. If we are tempted to hold in the truth that we have in Holy Scripture, the truth made known to us by the Holy Spirit, we become weary. May that fire activate us and motivate us and compel us to enter into conversations, to preach better sermons, to write better books, to take more chances in sharing the gospel with people who are not followers of Jesus. May we have that fire in my bones. And right now my dog has fire in his bones and he wants to go outside. But you're going to have to wait, Sonny. This is a very important podcast. The next text I want to look at is Paul, his farewell address at Miletus. Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. This is in Acts 20, verses 18 and following. When they came to him, Paul said, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I arrived in the province of Asia, served the Lord with great humility and with tears, especially in the trials that came upon me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink back from declaring anything that was helpful to you as I taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and Greeks alike about repentance to God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in town after town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions await me. But I consider my life of no value to me, if only I may finish the course and complete the ministry I have received from the Lord Jesus, the ministry of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have preached the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. few points here very similar to the Jeremiah text in Jeremiah chapter 20. Notice the insistency of Paul, his passion for truth, his willingness to declare and defend the truth. Notice he says, I did not shrink back. There's the temptation to shrink back under adversity, but we have to resist it. Notice Paul says in verse 22, and now compelled by the Spirit. See, that's the key to the fire 
and not shrinking back, is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth, as Jesus calls the Holy Spirit three times in the discourses in John 14, 15, and 16. I am compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. But Paul was told by the Holy Spirit that he would have trouble. It would be difficult. But he ends, verse 27, For I do not shrink back from declaring to you the whole will of God. Now, of course, like Jeremiah, Paul is in a special relationship with God that cannot really be repeated as an office today. There are no apostles today in the sense that Paul was an apostle and also a prophet. However, we have this farewell address in inspired scripture for teaching, for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. And it should motivate us. Now, Paul, of course, was a full-time church planner, apostle, evangelist, apologist, writer of scripture. And as I said, with respect to Jeremiah, not all of you listening to this are going to be teachers, preachers, writers, evangelists. But again, we are all called to speak the truth, the living truth of the living God to everyone we can and to do this in love and to do this without shrinking back and to do this with fire in our bones. You look at the ministry of Paul and he never misses an opportunity to defend and commend and explain the gospel. He is eager for new possibilities, new opportunities. And I've spoken to this in my podcast previously. We need to be creative in our outreach, creative in various aspects of ministry. I apply this now to apologetics and evangelism. Let's go into areas that have not been reached with a gospel presentation, that have not been reached with good, solid apologetics by people in the know. You may well be the first intelligent Christian a non-Christian has met. You may be the first Christian who knows apologetics and has some chops on the knowledge of God through natural theology, reliability in the Bible, identity of Jesus. You may be the first one, or you may be the one that leads a person to Christ because you can answer legitimate questions from a base of knowledge, humility, and love. The next passage I'd like to look at briefly is Paul at Athens. This is chapter 17, starting at 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. He was separated from his companions. He had to flee to Athens. And what he does in Athens before the philosophers is an unplanned ministry trip, an unplanned mission. This is not ideal. Typically, you want to have someone with you. Jesus sent them out two by two. And we see on Paul's first mission in Acts 13 that he has a team of people. He goes with Barnabas and John. But in this case, the Lord led it. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. He's upset. He's bothered at idols. He's a Jew. He knows there is one true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you must serve him with all of your being. And he knows that Jesus Christ alone 
is God incarnate. So when he ventures into this place of pagan philosophy, he sees the city is full of idols, and he doesn't simply say, well, what do you know? Look at these idols as part of human culture. Some of them are finely crafted. It's interesting. I wonder what the history is of this particular idol. Or this is the culture I'm addressing now, so I guess I need to incorporate idolatry into the message so I don't offend anyone. No, he's greatly distressed because idols are false imitations of the one true and living God. So let's look at verse 17 to see what he does. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now, you might think if he was greatly distressed, he'd have a temper tension. Or if he's greatly distressed, he would start criticizing people or being belligerent. But no, he's following the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth and also the spirit of self-control. But he still has that fire in his bones to communicate the gospel to unbelievers. He will not shrink back. The man was tenacious, and we need that tenacity of Holy Spirit fire. So, verse 17, So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Some background here, this babbler. In the Greek, it basically means bird brain. It's the idea of someone who picks a little seeds from one place, a few seeds, a few seeds from another place, and puts it together. Now, Paul was probably the most brilliant man alive at this point. He very well could be. Not an ignoramus. He was not irresponsibly taking ideas from here and there. The problem was they called him a bird brain because they were bird brains. They didn't understand the message. It wasn't getting through. Paul had a coherent, cogent, true worldview that he made known publicly. But it was difficult with these these pagan philosophers and God-fearers. So they insult him. What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. That's because he talked about the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, of course, the resurrection of Jesus is part of the gospel. He came to live a perfect life, die to atone for our sins. He rose from the dead victorious over the grave, sin, Satan, and death. It's a gospel message. But again, these people were bird brains, not Paul. And they thought he was teaching one God, the gospel, and another God, the resurrection. Verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? They still don't get it, but at least Paul is interesting enough and passionate enough, and I'm sure loving enough, that they want to know more. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Verse 21 of Acts 17, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Now, that's not why the Apostle Paul was there. 
he didn't want to share a little more philosophical or theological gossip. He had the saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to speak to the content or the structure of his message, which is utterly brilliant. And I have spoken on this, preached on it, and written on it. My focus for this talk, which I'm about to bring to an end here, is holy fire in the bones for life and ministry. We need to be, in our pluralistic world, we're supposed to accept everything, we need to be greatly distressed about false religion, greatly distressed at false morality, because we know the truth of Scripture, the living and active Word of God. We know who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know who Jesus is, God incarnate. We know that he lived for us. He died for us. He rose again from the dead for us. And everyone needs to know this. We need to take Jesus' teachings to the nations and find and make converts, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we know the risen Christ is with us and the Holy Spirit can give us truth and also give us self-control in the midst of pluralism, of people denying the gospel, of people corrupting the gospel by wedding it to transgender ideology or by wedding it to other religious ideas that are actually alien to the Christian worldview. So we need fire in our bones. We must not shrink back. We must testify till our dying breath the truths of the gospel. And if we're tempted to not mention him or speak anymore in his name, may the fire of God come out of our hearts, through our lips, into our pens, into our daily activities. We need more distress in the Christian life. I don't mean a lack of faith hope, or love. I don't mean fits of rage. I don't mean depression. But I mean distress over false teaching, false prophets, false gospels, false revelations. You need that inner fire for truth that keeps motivating you and pushing you out into uncomfortable, perhaps, and perhaps difficult places. Now, I just came back from some ministry at a church in Minnesota. I was well-received. I spoke to a small group of about 10 people, gave a talk called Lament as a Tonic for Suffering, which relates to what I've written in my book, Walking Through Twilight. There was no opposition. People received what I had to say. That night, I gave a basic apologetics talk to about 100, 125 people, I'd say. Uh, with the rather prosaic title, Apologetics and Worldview Testing. But a very significant talk. I didn't receive any opposition. No one called me a bird brain. In that sense, it was far easier than going into a disputed situation, a contentious situation. I have done that. And I hope I'm, I hope I'm willing to do that. And that I will get more opportunities. I have done uh, some debates, panel discussions. Of course, I've had conversations and interactions with people. My point here 
is that whether you're going into a friendly, welcoming situation, as I had recently on my ministry trip, or if you're dealing with a more difficult, challenging situation like Paul at Athens, we should ask God to give us holy fire in our bones based on the knowledge of God and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, such that we take the message of the gospel and whatever needed truth needs to be spoken today in our debauched, depraved, and absurd culture. We need fire in our bones to go out into the world to speak the truth in love with wisdom and passion so that we communicate the knowledge of God to as many people as possible. This has been Doug Grothuis. Our topic this time is Fire in the Bones for Life and Ministry. If you'd like to know more about me, you can go to douglasgrothuis.com. Thank you for listening. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free story behind podcasts. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.